Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at my bookie. We are now T-minus one week to the Super Bowl, so if you are like a lot of our fellow Americans out there and you are looking to lay a wager or two down on the Super Bowl, there's no better place to do that at than MyBookie. And it's so simple to get started, guys. If you don't have an account, just go to MyBookie.ag. Use our promo code UGA. We've been telling you guys about this all year. Now is the time. Now is the time to jump in on this. Use that code UGA and you will get a 50% bonus on top of your first deposit. So that's even more money to wager with on this year's Super Bowl. So jump in on it while you can. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and we've got a bunch of different things to talk about today. It's kind of a weird show. You guys know I usually come on here with a very targeted topic. That's just kind of how I've always run things on this podcast. But every now and then, when there has been a variety of news swirling in the Georgia sports ecosystem, we'll get on here and hop around from topic to topic. And that is what we are going to do today. Later in the week, on Wednesday to be precise, we will have some heavy recruiting coverage, 2024 recruiting coverage, as that is the official February signing day. And obviously, most of our class potentially all of our class, Sands maybe one player if we can get Terry Bussey, but 99% of our class has been locked and loaded since the December signing period. But recruiting will take the forefront again on Wednesday's episode, so make sure to check that out, and we'll have some more Georgia basketball talk for you guys to wrap the week up. But today, we've got a couple different things to talk about, and I want to start with the Reese's Senior Bowl, where the Georgia Bulldogs once again took over the scene with both Ladd McConkie and Javon Bullard being named the MVP of their positions during the week of practice. That was as voted on by the guys they were going up against. For Ladd, it was the cornerbacks and the safeties. For Javon, it was the running backs and the tight ends and the receivers, those kind of guys. So the guys they were matched up against are the ones who voted them the tops during the week of senior bowl practice. And then Tyke Smith was named the MVP of the actual senior bowl for the American team. Marcus Rosemey Jackson had a touchdown reception in the actual Senior Bowl game, so a lot of great things going on for our guys, and yes, everyone once again talking about the Georgia Bulldogs for the better part of the last week. And to kind of recapping the Senior Bowl, I want to start with one player in particular, Lad McConkey. 
You guys, I'm sure, have seen and heard the same things that I have seen and heard over the course of the past week, that Lad McConkie is quote-unquote opening eyes, something of that sort, right? How many times have you seen something like that throughout this week? Lad McConkie's making a believer out of people. Lad McConkie's showing what he's capable of. Lad McConkie making a move. And that's all well and good. That's great for Lad. I'm very excited to see that a lot of people are standing up and taking notice of Lad and that he's getting that respect that he deserves. But I have to say, guys, it's just wild to me that so many people who analyze football for a living are just now realizing this for the first time. That blows my mind. Lad McConkie has been a dude for, what, essentially three years? I know in 2021 he wasn't quite the feature guy. He wasn't that guy yet, but he had shown signs and had some big games. The game at Auburn in 2021. In 2022, the dude was our best receiver. I mean, yes, Brock Bowers is Brock Bowers, but I'm talking about pure receivers. It was Lad McConkie, and it wasn't even close. And that was for a national championship Georgia football team. And then this year, yeah, he was injured and banged up, missed about half the year. But when he played and he was healthy, he was an impact player. It's just wild to me how so many people are just now waking up to this reality that Lad McConkie's actually a dude. It's like, where have you been? What have you been watching? What have you been doing? Have you just been asleep for the last five, six months and you wake up in January when Senior Bowl comes around and now it's it's time for the NFL draft? Is that what happens? Like, What are these guys doing during the actual college football season? So one of my big takeaways from this past week at the Senior Bowl as it relates to our guys is it just betrays to me just how little football these quote-unquote analysts actually watch. Why do we take these guys seriously? Why does anyone take these guys seriously? They don't actually watch games. And I'm not just talking about NFL draft evaluators. That's not really necessarily the guys that I'm really going after here. Although they certainly do fall into this category to some degree. But even like the college guys, there were a number of college analysts this week. They're like, man, like Lab McConkie just making a name for himself. I know Lad could do this. It's like, what have you been doing? And this is really nothing new. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not breaking news here. This is nothing revolutionary that I'm saying. It's, it's something that that has bothered me for years and years and years. You have all these guys up there covering college football. I'm gonna say a guy like Joey Galloway, for instance, Danny Cannell, like all, all these guys that they are paid to cover college football, and it's very clear. They don't actually watch games. Like they might watch the biggest games. You know, they might watch a game, maybe a game and a half a week. They might watch like you know a, a few minutes of this game, a few minutes of that game. They're not actually sitting down watching games, and and partly that's because their job makes that difficult for them to do because they're doing studio work or whatever. But if you are paid to do that, go watch tape. If you can't watch it on Saturday, what are you doing the rest of the week? Watch the tape. It's just so clear these guys don't actually watch football games. It's crazy. I mean, I mentioned Danny Cannell. You know, as a Georgia guy, I'm sure you all were paying attention to this the way that I was. Of course, Danny Cannell is Danny Cannell, and he's on his, I don't say anti-Georgia crusade, but he's on the Florida State got screwed crusade, or the Florida State could have beaten Georgia if they had been fully healthy, and if they would have played all their players, and the 63-3 final score doesn't really matter. He's still on that misinformation campaign, and he was tweeting all week, man. He's just... Like, I know he he's a troll. He's a professional troll, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And when I give him oxygen here on my podcast, I'm giving him exactly what he wants. I understand that, but I, I, I can't help it, guys. I got to call it out. Danny Cannell sitting there posting all week long about how 
Florida State players just beating Georgia players in, in coverage. You know, you got Johnny Wilson, you got Jaheim Bell, who were just beating Tyke Smith or beating Javon Bullard. I know you guys saw this, but there was one specific clip of Johnny Wilson, I believe it was, beating Javon Bullard in one-on-one coverage when Javon's playing basically man coverage at the line of scrimmage. And Cannell uses that as, as further evidence of, of why Florida State 63-63 beat down in the Orange Bowl should just be completely ignored because, you know, if, if these guys played, if Johnny Wilson played, you know, they would have gotten open. They would have scored touchdowns. It would have been a whole different ball game because because they're winning all these one-on-one reps against Georgia, the team that beat them 63-3 in the Orange Bowl. But he quote tweeted that clip, and in that quote tweet, he referred to Javon Bullard as a cornerback. And it's like, dude, oh my God. Like, okay, people make honest mistakes, but you just, like, you know, this is Javon Bullard. You're trying to make a point because you know that's Javon Bullard. And if you know football, if you actually watch the games, we're talking about not just some random team. We're talking about a team that was number one from week one to week 13. How do you not know Javon Bullard is a a safety? How do you not understand that? Maybe he did. Maybe he's just trying to, he's just trying to make a point and he's just trying to continue on the narrative. That's fine. I don't know. But it's just wild, man. It just drives me insane. These guys just don't know football. And that was on full display again all week long. It really was. And the other thing that kind of hit me throughout the course of the week, and maybe this is something I, I should have already known, but I guess in a lot of ways, I'm kind of sitting here in my my Georgia bubble. That's fair. I live in Athens. I do a Georgia podcast. I write for a Georgia outlet. But I kind of just assumed that people understood that Lad McConkey was legit. I kind of just felt that was universally understood because I watch him each and every game. I know he's hurt for, again, half the year this year, but I've seen him play for three years now. And I just assume that anyone that watches these games, and I assume people watch Georgia because we have been so good, you know, back-to-back national titles, undefeated regular season, third, third straight undefeated regular season. I figured a lot of people are watching these games. And when you watch these games, I just assume, I like to assume people understand football to at least some basic degree. So if you watch our games, you see Lab McConkey play, and you have even just like the most fundamental understanding of the game of football, you clearly realize, oh, this guy is a dude. He's legit. This guy can play. It's just obvious to me. I, I, I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion, to be quite honest with you. But it hit me throughout the course of this week that that is not the case. People outside of our fan base, I guess outside of my Georgia bubble that I live in, that I admittedly live in, are still looking at, at least have been looking at Lad McConkey, like a lot of our fans did, I guess, when Lad was coming out of high school. I mean, let's go back to when Lad was coming out of high school, guys. I mean, he was a last second take. He was a guy that we were probably not going to take until the very last second. Kirby's like, all right, we got a spot for you. We're going to extend the offers. It's committable. And Lad took it. But he was, for the most part, a three-star wide receiver that nobody had really heard of. He was certainly not a major factor on the recruiting scene. And when he did commit, I mean, I remember talking about it here on the podcast. I, I, I vividly remember this. For a lot of people, it's kind of like a, huh? I would venture to say for most people, it's just a big old, huh? Shoulder shrug. Even for me, while I thought the guy actually had a chance to be a good football player for us, yes, you can go back and run the tape. I can't sit here and tell you I saw Lad becoming what Lad has become. My take back then was, if you don't take this guy, he ends up going to like Vanderbilt or Kentucky. He's one of those guys that he's an in-state kid that is undersized, under-recruited, ends up going to one of these like lesser schools, and it's just a pain in your ass for four years. And for four years, people are going to be asking Kirby Smart, how in the hell did you let this guy get out of the state? 
But again, I had no idea Ladd McConkie would become this good. But I really do think, like a lot of Georgia fans, when Ladd initially committed to Georgia back in the day, I think people outside our fan base coming into this NFL draft process looked at his measurables, his numbers, and guys, let's let's be real here. Quite frankly, they looked at his pigmentation and put the guy in a box. They said, this is what this guy is. This is what he can do. This is what he can't do. This is who he reminds us of, and that's all he is. They look at the relatively slight frame. They look at the modest numbers this year. And again, quite frankly, they look at the skin color. And in their minds, there aren't a lot of guys that look like Lab McConkie that play the receiver position that have a lot of success in the NFL. So that means he has to be, what, a Hunter Renfro type guy, or I mean, best case scenario, Cooper Cup, but probably not Cooper Cup. And so when they actually watch the guy play out there at practice, out there in the game itself, although the game itself, he didn't put up massive numbers. Well, partly that was that because of the quarterbacks. Did you guys see Joe Milton? Oh my God, Joe Milton, just living up to his legend, man. Uncle Rico, throw the ball a quarter mile out there over those mountains. But dear God, do not ask the man to throw the ball to someone five yards in front of him. Sorry, Joe. Joe out here catching strays for me. But anyway, back to my point, they finally get to see Lab McConkie play up close and personal. They see him get to go out there against other big-time players that are NFL draft prospects, and he puts on a show. And they're like, whoa, my God, I had no idea. And it's like, how did you not have an idea? How did you not have an idea that's indefensible? Look, I'm not asking you to know the guy in his game as intimately as I do and as you guys do, but come on. Come on, you have to be more educated than that. Because the reality is, this guy has been a difference maker for us for two plus years. I mean, you can go back to, you know, his first year of actually playing back in 2021. He wasn't consistently the the top receiver in the team, but he had those moments where he was a difference maker. Do we beat Auburn on the road in 2021 without Lad McConkie? Maybe, but remember how banged up we were in that game? And Lad, that was kind of like his coming out party. The dude was a difference maker. That's what he was. I mean, Alabama's best receiver, I guess the past two years, certainly this year, and Jermaine Burton, he transferred out of Georgia following the 2021 season largely because of Lad McConkie. He saw what was coming. He saw Lad coming and said, yep, that guy's eating in my snaps, so I'm out. And I would argue if Lad had not gotten hurt this year, he had a very real chance to put up over 1,000 yards himself. I know we, we, we all have said that about Brock Bowers all season long, and I, I absolutely believe that Brock would have hit over 1,000, the second receiver, second player in Georgia history to have 1,000 yards in a single season. Terrence Edwards, of course, being the only one back in 2002. Brock would have done it, but Ladd certainly had a shot himself, guys. I mean, let's look at Ladd's numbers this year, all right? 30 catches, 478. Well, how many games did Ladd play this year? All right, well... Yeah, he was banged up for the first four games, missed the the first month of the season, comes back against Auburn, plays a handful of snaps, made some critical first down catches for us in that game, four catches, 38 yards against Kentucky next week. Again, not 100%, not close to 100%, plays some, still only a handful of snaps, had one catch for 11 yards. Vandy, he starts to kind of get back into the old lad forms, especially when Brock Bowers goes down, four catches for 58 yards. The Florida game, give him the bye week, now we got healthy lad again. And what does healthy lad do? Six for 135 and a touchdown, is making people miss out in space, doing what lad McConkie does. The following week against Missouri, another big time factor force without Brock Bowers. Right? Remember, Brock Bowers did not play in Florida and Missouri. And in those games, we happen to have a healthy lad McConkie really for the only two games this entire season. I would say he was like probably fully healthy or very close to it. And what did he do against Missouri? Seven catches for 95 yards. And the following week against Ole Miss, 
he was well on his way to continuing that trend, four catches for 81 yards before he went down with an ankle injury and missed the last part of the game. Then he suits up against Tennessee the next week, plays a couple of snaps in the first quarter, clearly is not right, and sits the rest of the game. Ended up with no catches in that game because he wasn't healthy. Sits the following week against Georgia Tech in the regular season finale. Plays on one leg in the SEC Championship against Alabama. Guys, he had no business playing. That dude had no business playing the game. He did it because that's the kind of guy he is. Same thing with Brock Bowers. And put up a valiant effort. You know, not a big performance, three for 38 yards. But hey, the guy could barely walk. You saw him limping off the field every time he went to the sideline. And then, yes, he plays against Florida State, puts up one catch, 22 yards, one carry for 27 yards, and a touchdown. But he barely played in that game because we were destroying Florida State and he's you know, got the NFL draft ahead of him. So once we get the huge lead and he made a big play, it's like, okay, we're going to sit lad the rest of the game. So in reality, he played what? Two full games? Florida, Missouri, where he was like fully available and fully 100% or very close to it? That's it. That's all we got lad for. And still, with that being the case, the dude almost put up 500 yards. I really do believe if Ladd and Brock were both healthy for the entire season and missed no time, they both would have gone over 1,000 yards this year. I mean, they were clearly on pace to do it. Why wouldn't they have done it? But this is the guy we're talking about. This is the guy that people are just completely blown away by during the senior bowl practices. He's been this guy. He's been this guy. And now you've got guys like Jordan Reed, who's an ESPN draft analyst, saying that Lads moved up into like, you know, he's got a, a very clear second round grade. He's got top 50 guy. Maybe, maybe if he has a really good combine, he can slide in the late first round. That's still probably a reach for him. And I'm sitting here saying like, yeah, to me, he was a second round guy the, the whole way. And I think in the NFL, Lad is going to play the position I always felt was his best spot and his most natural spot, which to me was clearly slot. Fortunately for us, Ladd had the versatility where he could play outside for us. And we had some guys that could play inside. Obviously, this year we're Dominic Lovett. And uh, Ladd, you know, Ladd played inside from time to time, but especially like with A.D. Mitchell going out in, uh, for the, almost the entire season in 2022, like we had to have Ladd play outside. And we got Brock Bowers who can also play in the slot. You know, we don't need him. We didn't need him as much inside, but that's where he's going to translate in the NFL. And if, if he was exclusively a slot receiver for us, I mean, the guy would have just, I mean, he was awesome already and put up good numbers already, but he would have been borderline impossible to cover, which is kind of what we saw during the senior bowl practices. When a guy has a two-way go with all of that space, with the way that he can create space, with his route running ability and his very underrated athleticism, and then on top of that, with his ability to run after the catch and make things happen after the catch, his, again, very underrated speed, I think he's a natural slot receiver. I think he's going to make a very good living for himself in the NFL. But yeah, I had to get that off my chest when it comes to Ladd McConkie because it was kind of just driving me crazy all week. But as great as Ladd was, he was not the only former Georgia player showing out. Javon Bullard, again, had a great week, was named the, the best overall safety by the running backs and the receivers at the Senior Bowl practices this week. Again, it was hilarious seeing some of the haters out there, certainly the Florida State fans, just making fools of themselves, beating their chests when Jaheim Bell or Johnny Wilson would win a rep against Javon. And of course, completely downplaying any rep where Javon actually beat those guys in coverage. And also, conveniently ignoring the context of this being one-on-one -on -one where you have a safety on a receiver and a very athletic tight end who know where they're going and there's no help for the safety. There's no coverage scheme in which to play. Very rarely is a safety going to be matched up one-on-one -on -one with a guy like Johnny Wilson. Those drills are 
obviously designed to favor the offense. They always are. They always have been. They always will be. Javon Buller's not the first really talented DB to have to face those kind of situations. And and people say those kinds of things about it. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it is confirmation bias. It's what it is. It's fine. But Javon had a fantastic week, according to people who actually know, the people who are actually there, the people who are actually going against him. And I'm very curious to see where Javon will ultimately go in the NFL draft. He is still undersized. He does only have one year of tape at safety. I don't. He's not a first-round guy, in my opinion. I don't think that he will make the first round. I don't think he'll be selected in the first round. I think the second round's probably more likely. And I will be honest, Javon is not an elite cover guy. He's a safety, so he probably shouldn't be right. But even by the standards of safeties, I don't think that he is a top cover guy. I think the receivers can get too much separation against him. I do think that's a, that's a fair criticism. I mean, he runs really well. He's got good speed. But he certainly doesn't have elite top-end speed, like that makeup speed if a guy gets by him. He's just not a Malachi Starks-level athlete. He's not a really good athlete, but he's just not that kind of athlete. But at his size, I also don't think he's like a, a box safety in the NFL. So I do have questions about like what is his long-term fit in the NFL. Now, here's what I do know about Javon Board. The dude is a dog. The dude's going to work. He's just a football player. And there is a place for guys like that in the NFL. He's going to go work his tail off. He's going to be an amazing locker room guy, a leader for whatever team picks him. And while, yeah, he might be undersized for a box safety, he's a very willing and able tackle. He's also a really smart player. He's played a lot of football, really smart guy, really high football IQ. So he's got a lot of great things going for him. I just don't know if physically he's going to have the measurables that would put him in the first round conversation. I just don't see that right now. I would love to be wrong, but we'll see what happens at the combine in a couple of months. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Marcus shows me Jackson. I want to mention him real quick. He didn't get as much love throughout the week as a guy, Lad McConkie, but there was plenty of buzz about him having a really good week at senior bowl practices. And of course he has that touchdown catch in the actual senior bowl game. And I've been telling you guys really all year, I guess even going back to the offseason, I've felt for a while that Marcus has the ability to be a really good pass catcher, not just a blocker like we use him for a lot of his career, but a guy that can actually go out and make plays in the passing game. And he's trying to do more of that for us this year. I do believe if we asked Marcus to do that, especially this year, he could have been that guy for us. I really do believe that. But when you have Brock Bowers and Lad McConkie at times this year and Don McLovin had a good year, when you have those guys and you see what Marcus gives you in the perimeter blocking game and just all the dirty work that he does so willingly and eagerly, he's just not going to get as many looks. I mean, the guy basically had more or less three 100-yard games this year. I mean, close enough. I mean, what UAB had, I think, 94 yards. I know he had like 99 against Kentucky. And then it was over 90 against Tennessee. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, 91 against Tennessee. So I know technically not 100-yard games, but I mean, guys, we're talking about you know, right there, knocking on the door of 100 yards. He did that three different times. And two of them were in conference play. One of them on the road at Tennessee in a big game. He also had a really nice game at South Carolina, our first conference game. I think it was like 70-plus yards receiving in that game. He didn't do it game in and game out. He didn't. But he also wasn't asked to. When we needed him, when Ladd wasn't healthy against South Carolina, when Ladd still wasn't really healthy against Kentucky, when Ladd could only play a handful of snaps 
at Tennessee. Marcus was there to step up. He's got the ability, guys. Now, I think it took him a little while to come back from that leg injury. Remember, as I've said many times on this podcast, his leg fell off as a freshman in 2020 against Florida when he was starting to come on late that season. I think that was a nasty injury, and I think it took some time for him to really get back. I mean, he, he was clear and able to play, but it's kind of like Nick Chubb in 2016. You're clear and able to play, but you still weren't the same Nick Chubb that you were before and after the injury. And Marcus, the further he got away from that injury, the better he looked out there, just the more fluid, the more athletic, the faster he looked. And I've said it several times. You go back to high school. I know, you know, it's high school. You know, it doesn't always translate. But he was a big time dude coming out of St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Florida. That's a big time high school program. And I thought he coming out of high school, he could be that guy. And it didn't always work out for him. But when we needed him, especially this past year, he showed us he's got that in his game. He can beat that. Now, is he ever going to be a feature number one like alpha NFL wide receiver? I don't know if I would sit here and say that. I still need to see some more from him to, to go that far. But he can absolutely be a very productive NFL receiver. And you know, the draft buzz on him coming into the Senior Bowl week was like, this guy's going to be just fighting to get drafted. Well, I don't think that's a question anymore. He's going to get drafted. Now it's just a matter of, where does he get drafted? How high does he get drafted? And what does he do at the NFL Combine? But he certainly helped himself this past week. And finally, I would be remiss if I did not mention the American team MVP of the actual Senior Bowl, Tyke Smith, who, man, think about where this guy came from. All right, yes, he comes from West Virginia a couple years back as a third-team All-American. High expectations. It looked like he was probably going to be in line to start at our star position. Well, he suffers an injury in fall camp. He comes back and then tears his ACL promptly upon returning, and he misses the entire, essentially the entire 2021 season, right? That's that's a tough blow, man. That's tough with the expectations he had for himself, I'm sure, and we had for him. And then Javon Bullard's going to take that opportunity. He's going to run with it. So in 2022, he's really the guy at star. Yes, Tyke got some time when Javon was suspended. He starts that game uh, at Missouri and played well in that game, but he really didn't have a full-time role in the team. And he could have transferred out, and he didn't. He stuck around. And he did something very different than what the, the rank-and-file college football player does these days. He stuck around, and it paid dividends for him, and I could not be happier for this guy. He goes from missing his entire first year in Athens to being a backup in 2022 to be an all-SEC guy in his senior year and the MVP of his team in the Senior Bowl. And there are a lot of similarities between Tyke and Javon, in my opinion. The size, same kind of issue. Right? They're not the biggest guys out there. They're both really athletic and have good speed, good athleticism, but they're not elite top-end athletes. They both excel in their run support. They're competent in pass coverage, but again, not elite there. But the same things I said about Javon, I'd say about Tyke Smith. This guy is just a football player. This guy has been through the fire. And he's come out the other end. He's going to be a hell of a teammate. He'll be a hell of a special teams player. He gives you some versatility. Yes, he's going to probably start at star. That's what, he's, that's what he played last year, and that's what they're looking at, at him as right now. But I think he also has the versatility to play safety. He didn't really do that at Georgia. He did some cross-training. He didn't really play it much in games. But he has that ability. I mean, he's essentially the same size, more or less, than Javon Bullard. So I think that positional versatility could certainly play in his favor. But like Javon, he's just one of those really good all-around football players, and he's going to get drafted. It's just a matter of where he gets drafted, how high does he go, and I don't know right now. I think the NFL Combine in Indianapolis will certainly play a big role in that for him. Like, What does he run? What is his 40? Because when you are covering guys, slot guys in the NFL who are like the Lad McConkeys and the Cooper Cups of the world, those kind of guys, the type kills of the world, obviously he is like <laughs> the standard. When you're covering guys like that, 
you've got to have really good speed. Like you've got to be a really, really, really high level athlete. And I, I want to see what he runs. I'm curious. I think he's got really good speed. Does he have elite speed? I don't, I don't know that right now. So I think uh, where he gets drafted will largely hinge on, on what he, what he runs, what, he, what he, he puts up in terms of his measurables at the NFL combine. Now he certainly helped himself this week and put himself in really, really good position. He showed what he can do as a football player. But we all know that a lot of these NFL scouts, they outsmart themselves and they kind of ignore how good of an actual football player you are and put too much of a premium on these measurables. So we'll have to see how that plays out for Tyke. But again, all around a fantastic week for all our dogs out there at the Senior Bowl, really all help themselves out and uh, put themselves in a really good position heading into the next step in the NFL draft process. And we've got plenty more to get to today, guys. But first, I do want to remind you once again about our friends at my bookie. My bookie was good to me this weekend on the college basketball betting front. I hit myself a nice little parlay, so lined my pockets with that. I went big on North Carolina over Duke. I've watched Duke several times this year, and they're good. They're solid, but they have not really impressed me, and I felt there was no way they were going into Chapel Hill and winning that game as well as North Carolina has been playing, especially with North Carolina coming off that loss, that inexplicable loss on the road here in Atlanta to Georgia Tech. So I went big on the heels and also went big on Kansas. I was a little bit hesitant on Kansas because Kevin McCuller, who I think is their best player, did not play in the midweek. So I wasn't sure he was going to play. So I watched it very closely. Then they announced he was going to play. So boom, I was all over Kansas at home against Houston. So I had a nice little weekend betting some college basketball at MyBookie. And you guys can join in on that as well by just going to MyBookie.ag using our promo code UGA and all you new users will get a 50% bonus on your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. So take advantage of that while you can. You got college basketball to bet on. You got NFL. You got the Super Bowl next week. NBA. You got Major League Baseball. is going to be starting here in a month or so. A lot of action to bet on. So jump in on it while you can. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling. The next topic I want to run to, this is not normally a topic that I would cover on this podcast, but I've gotten a lot of questions about it, and it is, I guess, kind of big news. So we're going to talk about it, try to get the people what they want. Again, i got a lot of questions on it, so I'll share some thoughts. Uh, beer sales, beer sales, or alcohol sales, I should say, are now going to be allowed at Sanford Stadium this coming football season for the first time in Georgia football history. Now, we are very late to this party. The SEC initially allowed member institutions to start selling alcohol back in 2019. Now, they, of course, didn't have to, but they were given the option. They were allowed to if they so chose. A couple teams did early on. The LSU was one that first year that did jump in on that action. Obviously, of course, it's got to be LSU. We, however, did not, and we didn't in 2020. We didn't in 21. We didn't in 22. We didn't in 23, but now we are in 24. We were one of only two schools in the SEC that had yet to offer alcohol sales at football games. It was us and it was Auburn. Now it's just Auburn. And who knows? Maybe they'll change now that they're the last one. And I know different people have different thoughts on the matter, and that's certainly okay. I personally, however, have found it ridiculous that we have waited this long 
to offer alcohol, sell alcohol inside Sanford Stadium. And this is coming from someone who would not purchase it. I'm not going to buy a beer or wine or whatever inside Sanford Stadium watching Georgia football game. I'm there to watch the game. I, I'm not interested in staying in line and paying that much for a beer when I'm there to watch the game. Now, I'm not saying that I don't, you know, tailgate before the game. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm a teetotaler or anything like that. I'm just saying I'm not a guy who has any interest in buying inside Saber Stadium. Don't care. But I've just felt it was dumb. It was dumb to leave that much revenue, millions of dollars in revenue on the table. Why? Because of some puritanical objection to it? Because we're, we're an institution of higher learning. We're about educating the future of America. We, we can't dabble in that kind of thing. In my opinion, those are all ridiculous excuses. Now, I know that's not what Josh Brooks and our administration would say publicly. Publicly, what they have said, what they did say, was that, oh, we, we just want to see what our what our brother institutions are doing. Well, you know, how's it going there? We're just watching. We're just going to see, like, what are they doing well? What are they doing wrong? What issues pop up? And then eventually, we'll get it on it. Yeah, we're going to get it on it like five years later and leave about 15-ish million dollars on the table. And we're talking serious money, guys. We go back to 2019, LSU reported $2.3 million in alcohol sales revenue at football games. Uh, And in that same year, $2.4 million. Tennessee reported $2.7 million in revenue in 2021. Last year, the Vols reported $3.3 million in revenue from alcohol sales. We're talking serious cash, guys. And here's why I think you can't leave that on the table. All right. I know you might say, well, that's chump change talking about what the university brings in. I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I've had some people tell me that, well, that's chump change. I, I totally disagree with that. And here's a big part of why. With NIL, what we have seen with the growth of NIL and the emphasis placed on NIL from recruiting, you know, the high school ranks, recruiting your own players, keeping them on, on your team and avoiding having them go in the transfer portal and also being able to land guys out of the transfer portal. We've seen the need to direct more donor funding towards NIL. Well, why does that matter? Okay. Well, when we're directing donor funding towards NIL, because again, our school, like our university, according to the NCAA bylaws right now, and of course it's all very nebulous, like who knows what the rules actually are, but what they have consistently said, kind of what they're getting Tennessee for, well, not exactly what they're getting Tennessee for, kind of, I guess, is that the school itself cannot be giving funds to the school's collective, to its NIL arm. It cannot do that. That's against the rules. But there's nothing stopping donors from earmarking their donations towards NIL, towards the collectives. And with the arms race that recruiting has always been, but now it's a financial arms race with the Pandora's box being opened with NIL, to keep up, we've had to have some of our high-rolling donors start directing more of their big donations towards NIL. Now, we still have some going to the General Athletic Fund, you know, that helps pay for facilities, scholarships, salaries, all that kind of stuff. But we've had this need to keep up with the Joneses, at least to some degree. Now, we don't have the biggest NIL fund, but we've got to stay competitive, right? We have to stay competitive. And it's not just football either, guys. Like, we look at it from a football standpoint. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, if you want Mike White to take the next step with his basketball program, you want to level up our roster, we need NIL money for basketball to do that. If you want our baseball program to level up under Wes Johnson. We need NIL money for that. If you want us to stay at the top of, 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 of the SEC and in the, in the college tennis landscape with men's and women's tennis, which I know a lot of you might not care about, we still need NIL for that. We need it for all the sports, women's basketball, gymnastics. They all have needs for NIL. So it's not just football. So yes, there are a lot of donors who have either been directing their funds themselves or being 
asked to direct more funds towards NIL, to the Class of City Collective. And again, when they do that, that's fewer funds for the Georgia Athletic Association, for the athletic department, who still has to upgrade facilities, pay salaries, fund scholarships, especially for the non-revenue sports. So if more donors are directing their donations to NIL, well, where is the revenue coming from to pay for all the other things that we've got to pay for? You've got to get creative. And if you sit back and you just say, no, you know what? We're not going to sell alcohol. We're just not going to do it. We're let everyone else do it, but we're not going to do it. That's just simply too much revenue to forego, considering the current economic climate of college athletics and how things are trending right now. We're talking about you know 10 to $12 million potentially over a four-year span. That won't solve all of our revenue issues, but it certainly helps. We just can't sit by and watch potentially tens of millions of dollars just not materialize. So that's the perspective that I look at it from. Now, I understand the other side of the argument, okay? The argument against it is that, well, we're just going to have a bunch of drunken idiots in the stands now, and that's going to create the potential for very bad situations. Well, to that, I would just respectfully ask, have you been to a college football game recently? My argument would be that we already have a bunch of drunken idiots in the stands and there are bad situations that already occur. And I'm not saying that's great, but that's already happening whether we sell alcohol inside the stadium or not. I mean, there's rarely a home game that goes by. And I've been to every home game since, God, I don't even know how long, what, 2004, I want to say now. There is rarely a home game that goes by that I don't see the cops marching through the stands somewhere around me to take some drunken fool out of the stadium. And everyone cranes their neck and they turn around and it's good drama for about two minutes to watch what's going down. But that's already happening. And those people are not getting their alcohol inside Sanford Stadium. They're either already drunk when they get in or they're smuggling it in. So yeah, I would argue that selling alcohol inside Sanford Stadium is not going to materially alter the environment within the stadium. I just don't believe that it will because it's already largely the way that people think it's going to be now that we're going to sell alcohol, these people that are that are opposed to it. It's already kind of that way. That's kind of how college stadiums are. And look, guys, like the majority of people will still do their imbibing pregame, whether we're selling it in the stadium or not. There'll be people who will buy it in the stadium, sure. But the majority of people are going to tailgate. Like that's what that's what people do. It's part of the experience. It's not just going to the game. It's the entire game day experience. That's one of the reasons that college football is what it is. It makes it so special. So people are not going to just now say at the tailgate, "Oh, I'm not going to drink. I'm just I'm just drinking water here. I'm gonna wait till I get in the stadium and I'm gonna buy eighteen dollar beer." I really don't think it's going to result in all that more drunk people in the stadium. It's because it, in my opinion, it's already like that. And also, as I mentioned earlier, it's not like people weren't already drinking inside Sanford Stadium. Anyone that has been to a game, I mean, at any point, like probably in the last 10, 15 years, and has been to at least a men's restroom. I don't know about the ladies. I don't know what's going on there. But anyone who's been to a game and has been in the men's restroom, you know that the toilets are clogged up by the end of the first quarter with alcohol nips. And we're not talking beer. We're talking hard liquor that people are pouring into their cups. I mean, most games... I mean, I had a crew that I sit around that's been there for, I don't know, a decade or so with my season tickets, but there's usually somebody that sells a ticket here, sells a ticket there, but there's someone, somewhere around me, I can smell like whiskey. Like it's clearly, it's clearly there. So let's not bury our heads and act like people weren't already drinking inside the stadium and already drinking much more heavier things than beer and wine. In my opinion, selling beer and wine is just going to make a negligible impact 
on the, the state, the, the sobriety state of Sanford Stadium. And I will also give Josh Brooks and the administration credit. They've, they have learned, as they said, they were trying to see how other people were doing, other programs were doing it. They're only going to allow people to buy two, uh, two alcohol beverages at a time. They're going to stop selling at the end of the third quarter. So they're putting some mechanisms in place to, you can't completely eliminate the possibility of people just getting completely wasted off of the, uh, the alcohol that you're selling in the stadium. But they've put mechanisms in place to at least mitigate that as much as they can. But again, I think the revenue that this is going to yield is just far too much to pass up. I don't think the arguments against it are way heavily enough to forego that revenue. Again, we're talking tens of millions of dollars over a three, four, five year span. In this day and age of NIL, we need that cash. So those are just my quick thoughts on the selling alcohol topic. I know, again, that's not normally something that we talk about, that kind of thing on this show, but when the people ask for it and want my thoughts on it, I, of course, try my best to oblige. And I will be back right after this. Got one more segment. I want to talk about some Georgia basketball. Yes, we're going to have our our hoops report at the end of this week, but I do have some thoughts I want to get out now because I think it's relevant to what just went down and some of the conversation that's been taking place over the past couple of days as it relates to our basketball program. But first, I do remind you about our great friends at Alumni Hall. If you have any Georgia gear and accessory needs, which, hey, all you Georgia fans out there, I know you're the diehard Georgia fans. I know you need some Georgia gear. I know you need some Georgia accessories in your life. There's no better place to pick that stuff up at than Alumni Hall. They have the best selection of brands. They have styles that no one else has. Their vintage collection is unparalleled anywhere. Trust me on that, guys. I'm a a vintage logo guy, and I get all my vintage stuff from Alumni Hall. So whatever it is that you are in the market for, I'm telling you, you can get it at Alumni Hall. So stop in today here in the Classic City inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center, or if you're not in the Athens area, no worries. You can just go online and you can find all the same great gear and accessories at alumnihall.com. So check them out today because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, let's talk a little Georgia basketball here. I don't want to go too deep into the weeds as we are going to have our Georgia Hoops report at the end of the week. We'll cover some more of that there. In particular today, I want to touch on Mike White. I want to touch on some of the criticism that I have seen directed his way in the aftermath of these last two losses. The the tough home loss to Alabama, where we had the lead for about 80% of that game and end up losing it late. And Another game against South Carolina at home on Saturday where we didn't have the lead quite as long and it wasn't quite as big of a lead, but we did lead for a good portion of that game before before ultimately falling to the Gamecocks, who we did beat in Columbia a couple weeks ago. And in the aftermath of those two frustrating losses, in combination with the very frustrating home loss to Tennessee back a couple weeks ago and the frustrating road loss to Florida last Saturday, there are now... Georgia fans who are not happy with Mike White. We have reached the point where Mike White is now starting to become somewhat of a victim of his own success as more and more people in the fan base are questioning his ability to get this team over the hump. People are frustrated and they're lashing out and the obvious person to lash out at is, of course, the coach. Who else, right? And look, guys, I know that we are frustrated. I'm not going to tell you that I'm not frustrated. Yes, I am frustrated. Guys, I live here in Athens. I go to all these games. I'm very frustrated, okay? I, I am not one of these guys who has just woken up to Georgia basketball this year. Like, I, I've just completely, like, fallen asleep on the program, and now, like, oh, okay, we're kind of good. Like, let me get back in on this. No, I've been in on this when we were going 6-26. and 26. I've had season tickets. I've been watching these games. 6-26, and 26, watch every single freaking game. And I'm not saying I'm special. I'm just saying 
I get it. I'm frustrated too. I desperately want Georgia basketball to be good. I am a massive college basketball fan in general. Obviously, Georgia basketball, that, that's where my heart is. That's what I bleed, the red and black. But I just love college basketball. Like I love college football. College football is number one for me in all of sports. College basketball is number two. And then there's a massive gap and it's everything else. So yes, I get where the frustration is coming from. I share a lot of those frustrations. I think where I might differ with some people right now who are lashing out at Mike White is I'm trying to look at the bigger picture here. I'm trying to keep the perspective. Again, I mentioned 6 and 26. I remember where we were like two years ago, guys. I vividly remember that. I remember subjecting myself, the maskist that I am, subjecting myself to sitting there on my freaking couch watching those basketball games, going to Stegman Coliseum and watching that team go 1-17 in in conference. Sometimes it felt like I was one of like 17 people in that arena. I get the frustration, okay? I really, really do. I want us to be good as much as anyone out there. I want us to make insulate tournaments as much as anyone out there. I want to go to these insulate tournament games, okay? I desperately want it. But saying that, I can also appreciate how far our program has come in a year and a half under Mike White. Again, 6-26 overall, 1-17 in conference play. That is the program that Mike White inherited from Tom Cream. To say that our program had bottomed out might very well be the understatement of the century. And here we are now, a year after leading the team to a resurgent 16-16 overall record, 6-11 the SEC, not what we all ultimately want to be at, but certainly a dramatic improvement over the program we inherited. And now a year later, having our program in a position where we're clearly going to surpass the numbers from year one of Mike White, and also in a position where people are now getting upset and frustrated because it doesn't look like we're going to make the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament, guys, two years ago, I would have taken winning two conference games. Yeah, I know the NCAA tournament is the goal, Yeah, we want to get there and we need to get there soon. And I think that we will. But I also understand we're a year and a half away from 6 and 26. And we have made significant and steady progress under Mike White. I mean, just from year one to year two, guys, let's go back to last year. Now, I know people are really frustrated that we lost to Alabama at home on Wednesday. I'm frustrated too, guys. I was there. I paid good money to watch that. But that's a game that we led for, I I mean, I don't had the numbers, but what, 80, 85% of that game? Yeah, we ultimately ended up losing 85, 76, but that doesn't really tell the story of that game. Does anybody know the, the score of the Alabama game last year? I do. 108 to 59. Now, I know it's not the exact same Alabama team, but there's still a lot of players from the Alabama team that are on that roster, and they still have one of the better rosters in the SEC, one of the better rosters in the country, to be quite honest with you, and we've made up that much ground. Tennessee this year. I know people are frustrated that we lost that game at home when we had a huge lead for most of that game. What, we ended up losing at 85-79 when Dalton Connect, who might very well be the best player in the entire United States of America, went off late in the game and we didn't have an answer for that. And that's another thing. Well, Mike White has to have, have an answer for these things. Have an answer for Dalton Connect? Like, what is this answer supposed to be? I mean, that's the best player in the country. The guy had like 30 plus points, five straight games. That dude be dropping 20 plus in the, in the NBA right now. Like, what is this answer supposed to be for that? Who else has had an answer for Dalton Connect? But we lose to Tennessee 85-79. What was the score last year? 70 to 41. We were better last year than we were the year before in Tom Green's final year. And this year, we are clearly better than we were last year. We are making clear and obvious progress. Are we there yet? No, clearly not. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. We are not. But it just blows my mind 
that we are now at the point where we're saying, Mike White, you suck. I even had people in my DMs, my mentions this weekend tell me that Mike White better fix this. And I'm like, fix what? What does he have to fix? I mean, this guy's done nothing but fix the mess that he had when he got here, that he inherited. The reality is that our roster is not there yet. Now, you can put that on Mike White if you want. So when they air the transfer portal, you should be able to go out and get these players. You have to understand the context of our program, guys. Think about where our program has been. That is a hard sell, okay? Now, the more he improves, as he has this year, the easier that sell is going to become. I fully imagine that we're going to be able to get, I fully expect, actually, that we'll be able to get better players out of the transfer portal this year because we have a better season to sell. We say, look, look at the evidence. Look what we did this year. We might not have made the tournament, but we got really damn close, and you can help push us over the top. You were now recruiting at a higher level. Got Asa Newell, five-star coming in, who's going to completely change the face of this program. But that's all moving forward. We have to crawl before we walk and walk before we run. We're still in that process. Last year, we were crawling. This year, we're walking. And next year, I fully expect us to be running. But our roster's just not there yet. And, and of course, the, the, the question and the comment I've gotten most commonly is, oh, we, we just got to stop these second half collapses. Like, we got to figure out what's going on in the second half. Like, we got to make some second half adjustments. And that's what I've gotten over and over again. It just makes me kind of shake my head. It's like, second half adjustments? Like, what second half adjustments are we supposed to make, okay? What has happened in these games against Alabama and Tennessee, which are really the games people are most frustrated about because those are big quad one opportunities, top 10 net teams. What people are most frustrated about is how we had the lead for the majority of both of those games, big leads for the majority of both those games, end up in their minds blowing it late, which I guess you can argue we blew it. That's fine. Whatever terminology you want to use, semantics, I don't care. But for us to beat teams of that caliber, Tennessee, Alabama, we're talking again, top 10 net teams, Two of the top 10 teams in the country. That's what those teams are, okay? For us to beat those teams, it has to be a perfect storm. What has to happen is we have to play way above our heads. We have to bring like our A++++ game, and our opponent has to play way below their capabilities because from a roster standpoint, they are that much better than we are right now. And for most of the game against both Tennessee and Alabama, that was the case. We were playing out of our minds. They were not playing well. They didn't really show up, whatever you want to call it, and that allowed us to jump out to big leads. Like Alabama on Wednesday night, for instance, that team is a knockdown three-point shooting team. They could not hit anything in the first half. They were playing very poorly. We played really well. That's the recipe that we have to have for us to even talk about, think about, winning a game like that. And that happened. It continued on into the first part of the second half. But eventually, Alabama woke up, and they started playing to their capabilities. And when they start playing to that level, they are just better than us. Same thing with Tennessee. When Dalton Connect woke up late in that game and took over, he's just better. Our roster's not there yet. It's like our football team in 2016. Kirby was still Kirby, but our roster wasn't there yet, guys. What happened when you gave Kirby a couple of years of, to recruit and get better players, upgrade our roster? Oh yeah, all of a sudden we're competing for and then ultimately winning national championships. I'm not saying that's what Mike White's going to do. Our basketball program is in a very different place than our football program ever has been, but we are going to get there to Mike White. I have seen plenty of evidence. I've seen more than enough evidence that we will get there. In fact, guys, I would say we should be applauding this man for even having us at the point where we're in these games against teams like that. Now, do I want to close the door? Of course I do. But it's an accomplishment in and of itself with the disparity in talent between our roster and teams like Alabama and Tennessee. It's a, it is a testament to the players, how hard they're playing, and also our coaching staff, that we are even in these games, period, at any point. Because again, last year, we were not. 
Now, saying that, I'm not trying to suggest that Mike White is infallible, okay? I'm not trying to suggest that he's above reproach. There are plenty of things you can criticize him for, like you can any coach, including Kirby Smart. I mean, I I criticized Mike White last week on this show for how he failed to adjust to the high ball screen against Florida. They did it over and over and over and over again, and we continue to have Russell Chiwa switch off on their guards, and they ate us alive getting easy layups to the basket over and over and over again to the point that they were able to win in overtime, all right? We should have made an adjustment there. Now, I'll give him credit. We made an adjustment against Alabama, okay? But they went to the high high ball screen late in the game with Grant Nelson. We didn't switch it, right? Because we saw what Florida did to us in that game, the, the, the game before. So we didn't switch it this time, but we were late getting over, getting over the screen. And so Grant Nelson, as a stretch five, was able to knock down those shots when he got a clean look. So again, when I hear second half adjustments, I'm saying we did adjust, we did adjust. They just have better players. There's no adjusting better players. Like we can only adjust that in the offseason. Another criticism I would I would throw out there, I think is fair, is I would like to see us do less one-on-one stuff. I don't think we share the ball enough. We're not a very good assist team. We don't always look for the cutter. A lot of times we're just gonna go one-on-one. Like a guy gets the ball, Noah Thompson, oh, it's my turn. Justin Hill is a prime example of this. It's my turn. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the rim. There's a little too much hero ball for my liking. So I would like to see us adjust some of that. But again, by and large, Mike Weiss did an amazing job for us guys to even get us to this point. Again, so kind of what I said last week, I'll say it again. You care now. You're mad because you care now. A lot of people didn't care last year, the year before. Mike White is the one that has gotten you back in. He's the one that's made you care again. He's doing something right to drag you back in. Because again, I can tell you, the past couple of years, that Coliseum Stegman has not been sold out. And now we've got what, the rest of the home games, the rest of the year are sold out? Mike White is getting people back into this program. He's doing something right. We're winning, okay? Are we winning the level that we want to win that? No, not ultimately, but we're winning at a higher level than we have in a long damn time. And also, our tournament chances are not dead yet. Are they on life support? Yeah, probably. But there are still opportunities out there. We're going to have to go on a run. Is it likely? No, it's very unlikely at this point. But the fat lady has not officially sung yet, so let's refrain from acting like there's no chance this team can make the tournament because that is not the case. But anyway, that's all I got for you today, guys. I just want, had to get that off my chest as that was kind of on my mind. I've been trying to keep that down as much as I can. I tried to be as respectful as I could on social media last night. I had to delete more than a couple tweets because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be that guy, but it was... I'm not going to lie, kind of frustrating. So I just had to get on here tonight and at least talk about it a little bit, but we will have some more Georgia basketball talk for you later this week with our weekly UGA Hoops Report. Big game on Wednesday. Talk about quad one opportunities. Quad one opportunities are dwindling. We don't have as many as we once had, but this is another one on the road against Mississippi State on Wednesday inside Humphrey Coliseum. So let's see if we can get that one. And, you know, that's that's a start. We'll need more than that, but that's a start to get us right back on track and and maybe possibly find a way to sneak in. Again, very unlikely, but hey, we're not quite dead yet. But all right, guys, I'm out of here. I appreciate you guys. I will be back on Wednesday with some 2024 recruiting class talk for you. We'll wrap things up at the end of the week with our Georgia Hoops Report. Thank you, as always, for being here. Always appreciate you guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>